there's a need for us. There's a whole other side to this of we got to close quickly. We got to call somebody besides a bank. Speed. So that's not going to go away. We're the second oldest business for a reason. There's a need for it. Welcome to The Fort Podcast. I'm Chris Powers, and on this show, I talk to some of the most fascinating minds in business and discuss important topics in the worlds of real estate, entrepreneurship, investing, and more. To learn more, visit thefortpod.com. That's thefortpod.com. I just pinch myself when I think about what Fort Capital's done over the last few years. We're based in Fort Worth, Texas, and we have a track record that has already transacted on over $2 billion in assets throughout Texas, Tennessee, and Florida. Our team is currently looking to acquire Class B industrial deals between $15 and $100 million throughout Texas, Florida, Tennessee, and now North Carolina and South Carolina. To learn more about Fort Capital, visit www.fortcapitallp.com. Brian, welcome to the show today, my friend. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah. For everybody that doesn't know, Brian and I met uh, three or four years ago. We actually met in LA and we are in YPO together and are in a real estate forum together. So gotten to know each other uh, over the last three or four years in each other's businesses. And uh, I'm super impressed by what he's doing. And I think it's actually a really timely discussion with what's going on in the market. So let's kind of just set the stage with your snapshot of your career and what brought you to the debt side of the real estate market. We call it the dark side, coming to the dark <laughs> side. Used to love lenders. No one likes them anymore. I, mm-hmm. I started I started as an attorney and that lasted about two years. I went to law school because the, the economy was bad. This was like 1993, 94. Loved law school and then got thrown, got a job, which I was excited about and at a, at a pretty big law firm in, in Century City. And they threw me into the real estate department, which uh, I liked right away. I didn't like the billing of hours, but I liked the people and I liked the, the action. One of our clients was a company called Arden Realty. Uh, another client was uh, later on was a company called Kennedy Wilson. Um, Kennedy Wilson's still around. Arden sold to GE, but I got a good taste of, of the real estate side from from the CEOs of both of those companies. Um, Dick Simon's a is a mentor and Bill McMorrow a friend and, um, and mentor also. So it's, I was really lucky and fortunate to get to get some good exposure. Um, after a couple of years of that, um, through some other different directions, I got I was uh, president of a software company that did property management software. Um, we had uh, raised some funds from KKR, and we were the first web-based property management software company. And then exited that, and then started my real estate company, which is was called Eagle Group, which was on the ownership side. And we uh, syndicated multiple deals in, in every type of real estate uh, platform. So we owned re- uh, industrial, single tenant, and multi-tenant. We owned office. Uh, we owned a few multifamily assets, and then we owned um, retail, a lot of shopping centers. Um, and we can get into that later. That that business is a tougher business than it was 20-odd years ago. And then after doing that for 10-plus years, 12 years, um, I started getting interested in the debt side and uh, have been doing that with iBorrow uh, for close to nine years now. And... Uh, it's a totally different side of the business than the ownership side. 
Um, what we do, we can get into that a little bit, is action-packed. Every day is different. Every deal is different. Um, I'm sure you have these to-do lists and deals you're working on and pipeline deals. And our pipeline changes daily, um, especially in the last six months where there's been a little uh, turmoil. Um, but it's a grinded out business. It's a fun business. It's action-packed. But it really, everything I've done in my career from being a lawyer to property management software to ownership has led me to, to sort of know what I'm doing on the lending side. And it's given us a path where we've tried to create a, a lending company uh, that is um, caters to entrepreneurial type real estate owners. That's, that's what our, our motto is. Um, we were just, we were, at least for me, the frustration was, you know, Lenders were CMBS, life companies, or banks. And there really wasn't the proliferation of, um, of private lenders that there are today. And that was our, 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 our target, was to be that private lender that catered to the borrowers, that understood what they needed, worked quickly, kind of got through all the, all the crap um, that was on all these closing checklists and was able to take them, condense them, and, and work smartly. But most importantly, you know, if we didn't like the deal, we would be upfront with the borrower and tell them. We wouldn't try to, you know, push them down the road and then tell them no later on. Okay. I have to ask you this because I literally talked about this on another podcast and I've made this comment so many times. Why is it that everybody that's on the equity side that has borrowed enough from a lender, if you stay in it long enough, want to end up being on the lender side? For you, what was it that, that attracted you to the other side? Just for me, I thought it was, I was kind of done with ownership of properties from the property management side. I did not like property management. I still yeah. don't. And <laughs> I was so naive and I was naive enough to think that if I got on the lender side, I could be once removed and our borrowers would property manage the properties. And all I have to do <laughs> is sit back and collect the monthly mortgages. Little did I know that when you make a loan with construction reserves, you actually have to oversee it and manage it and make sure they're doing it. And also, I was naive enough to think that borrowers, most borrowers are honest and trustworthy and straightforward and know what they're doing, most importantly. So that's that's why. That was the reason. Now, to me, overall, I, I love the lending business. I think it is, you know, we joke here, it's the second oldest business in the world. You know, I'll let you I'll let you uh, imagine what the, <laughs> the oldest business in the world is. It's the second oldest business in the world. So really, are we creating anything new here? I don't know. We had everybody in the conference room a few weeks ago. We do these lunches where we do crossword puzzle, you know, the New York Times crossword puzzle. And we sit around, we joke around. And I said to everybody, I said, what's the number one priority at our company? You know, and one guy raised his hand. He goes, good record keeping. I'm like, okay. Another one's like, you know, these are younger guys. I'm like the older guy in the room. What's the other one? Uh, you know, we've got to be customer service. I go, I like that answer. Responsive to our investors, everything. That's great. Three is great due diligence. What's the number one thing we're supposed to do? He said, when we lend out money, we're supposed to get it back. That's it. <laughs> and if we get the yield on top of it, God bless. But the real reason is we give the money and we got to get it back. And a lot of borrowers are like, they gave us the money. Now it's their issue. They got to try and get it back from us. And that's not what we're looking for in a borrower. We're going to talk a lot about deal specific, but I think we'll we'll kind of start this conversation with, I think a lot of people uh, want to understand. Well, before I go there, 
when you say private lender, there was not a lot of private lenders in the market versus what people typically think about, which are chartered banks, you know, institutions, insurance companies. Is the main difference the kind of entrepreneurial uh, aspect that you can put on loans and you guys have more of control over how you can lend the money out? Like, what are the, the key differences between you and maybe a more traditional lender? Sure. So I think um, we have discretionary capital. So we have our fund, our mortgage rate fund that we can lend out within param- certain parameters that are, that are, you know, I would say on the broader spectrum. Um, we're not, we're, we, we are regulated, by the way. So we do have, you know, licenses that we need and um, filings we need to make, but in no way, shape or form are we regulated like banks and, uh, and life companies, et cetera. We're not like that. Um, so we do have flexibility. Our loans are structured. I mean, we don't do single family residential, which are more, you know, rote kind of loans where the, the documents don't change. Our loans are, are commercial properties and multifamily where we have, um, they're negotiated. I mean, they're structured. But we can do things like we've done loans where the borrowers in litigation with one of their tenants and they needed us to take out, you know, we can, we can, we can work. There's some, maybe there's some environmental issues. We had to, on a retail center, we had some issue there. You know, we had um, credit scores less than 650, you know, those kind of things we can work around. Um, they're non-recourse loans. So we're not doing, you know, give us all your tax returns. Give us your your mother's maiden name because we're going to look back on that. You know, we do credit checks. We do litigation search. But there's this, you know, we get uh, financial statements. But we're not going to go back and ask for tax returns, K-1s and all that kind of stuff because they're not, there's no recourse on our loans. Just bad boy carve-outs. So that's what makes it more entrepreneurial. And, and the reality is, Chris, is we close because of all this, what we cut through some of the crap, we can close the deals in, in a couple of weeks versus a couple of months. Yep. I haven't asked this question in 260 episodes. From your perspective, what's a bad boy carve out? Like, how do those actually make their way into play? Because I think a lot of people hear bad boy carve out and they're like, it's non recourse except for the bad boy carve out, but that's never really going to happen anyway. From your perspective as a lender, what does that mean to you? So fraud, you know, blatantly lying to us and not providing the correct documents. That's the first one. You know, there's always one like environmentally, you know, you contaminate your own property, which we've never seen. But the one that was added to bad boy carve outs probably 15 years ago, maybe less, started with the CMBS was bankruptcy. So if the entity or the the guarantor of the non-recourse carve out files bankruptcy, as a way to delay or avoid something, well, then now the whole loan becomes recourse. And that to me is the really the, the deterrent in the non-recourse carve out that's that has some teeth. That you know, the ha- in my opinion, to have a recourse loan, full recourse loan right now on a private side, you're gonna, you're gonna give, you're gonna, you know, the default, you're gonna show them a recourse guarantee your loans do. But most borrowers are smart enough that they know it's really just for a deficiency. So you still got to go through as a lender, foreclose, sell it at a loss, and then and then go after the the deficiency. So I think non-recourse for us, uh, it's it's a good marketing and it, in practicality, it's it's what most loans end up being anyway. Yeah. Would you consider yourself if if I say you're are you the lender of first resort? Are you the lender of last resort? Or are you somewhere in the middle? Like where do you position yourself between those goalposts? So that's changed. So 
a year ago, we were the last resort. We were the one. Who's that guy I talked to? I wrote his name on the back of a napkin. <laughs> he was an interesting guy. He was kind of goofy. Surely going, they'll give us me. <laughs> go, going bald. He gave me a number. I got to find that card. That's the guy. <laughs> and now it's, you know, in the last four or five months, and I can tell you from the YPO conference, I was never, I never got any business from those because those guys could, all those borrowers could go to to Wells Fargo and they could go to whoever. And they're like, you know, 6%, holy shit, we're not going to pay 6%. Those same borrowers, Brian, I got to talk to you. Hypothetically, what's the, you know, I said, just cut the shit. What do you, what do you need? So we're getting, our quality of borrowers has, has, has gone up exponentially. We're somewhere between the first call and the last call. Now we're kind of in the middle. If you were to ask me, we're not the, we're, we're, we're kind of in the middle, you know, they don't want to call me, but they know me and they'll call me. Then let's use this uh, next few minutes to really paint a picture for listeners of what has changed so much. So let's go back to a year ago. What was life like for you then? And then kind of just talk me through your view of how the market's changing from a lender, private lender, higher interest lender, how the market has changed over the last year. So the market's changed in the last year. And I, this is my third, maybe fourth kind of recession and call it, we can call it a recession for, for the purposes of this podcast. Never have I seen rates go up so much so quickly. So this is a whole new ball game. Six months ago, five months ago, LIBOR or SOFR base rate 30 day term was something like 30 bips. And now it's in the fours you know, 400s. So that's a significant change in six months. Having been near zero for six years, seven years, whatever it was to go up to this, that's significant. Um, 12 months ago, we were we were hoping to do loans at 7%. That was kind of the goal. Fixed 7%, two year, maybe a point and a half, 70% loan to value, um, good borrowers, um, and in good markets. That's what we were trying to do. Now we're mostly floating. I think our rates are quoted over 30 day term so far, somewhere around 550 to 650 over that. So we're, you know, nine and a half to 10 and a half percent rate floating. We're talking about borrowers getting uh, protection on, on, on the float, try to fix it somehow with a swap. Uh, you know, we're talking about bigger interest reserves, but one thing we're very careful about right now is what's the value of the property and how do you determine the value of the property? If, if the rates have gone up, what are the cap rates? And it's, we're sort of in that flux. This is what I've seen consistent with every one of the downturns prior is rates go up, something happens. And the first six to nine months, 12 months, everyone's kind of in this weird vacuum of trying to figure out what something's worth. Buyers want to, uh, they come to us, they, they understand their debt. They go to the seller and ask for a, a price reduction. Sellers give them the middle finger and walk away. The ones that don't have to sell, the ones that do have to sell kind of massage it a little, they complain to their brokers and we're, and then what happens is the first three months of this from, I'd say June until September, we were really, really busy and things were still going on and we were rescuing a lot of borrowers who had gone hard on their deposits and they needed to close. The last quarter deals just stopped happening. 
Sellers pulled stuff off the market because they weren't happy with the, the, the bids. They didn't get any bids. Buyers said, screw this. I'll see you in January, February next year. And the equity did the same thing. The equity said, we're out. We'll see you next year. And so now we're in next year and we're trying to figure out when when is when is that demarcation? There's always one group that comes back in and starts buying, which they think is the bottom. And I my prediction is probably, you know, second quarter in the second quarter. That's what I think. So it's it's been a monumental shift in the last 12 months. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a series of questions in over the the 12 months. So you said 12 months ago, a typical loan was 7% fixed, a point and a half up front, 70% LTV. I know we're not in those times anymore, but what kind of deal, like who needed that kind of money at that point in time when the market was flush with capital and you could borrow in the threes and high twos and everything else? Sure. Value add buyers, guys that needed they were going to apartment building that they were going to clean house, take everybody out, new countertops, new cabinets, car- paint and carpet, and then release it. They needed our money. Um, guys that that um, that had timing issues, you know, they the seller was like, "I'll give you this price, but I want you to close in thirty days," and none of the banks can meet that. So we we came in and stepped in and those did those kind of deals. And then there's guys that just either had credit issues or just preferred to not borrow from banks because the banks were not flexible in their structures. That's what we were getting a lot of. Okay. And then is that the same type of buyer, right? Or same type of borrower right now that 12 months later would be willing to borrow at SOFR plus, you know, 550, 650, same type profile? Yeah. Same profile. But now we've also gotten other borrowers who are, you know, I wasn't their first call or their second call. I was their third call. We're getting that group of, of, of buyers now that are coming to the table. Institutional type buyers, um, funds, you know, with significant equity in their, in their, in their funds, um, and, and just a, a, a higher quality level of borrower, so more sophisticated broker. That, that's who's coming to us recently. Are all the loans two years or what's the longest loan you'll do, shortest loan you'll do? So we can do a three plus one. Okay. That's your longest? That's our longest. Um, what, we're, what we offer, I know this, I'm not selling our company, but I'll sell the company. We have a very flexible prepayment schedule. So it's typically half the term. There's no lockout. So you can pay us off the day after you, you, you we fund if you want, but there's just minimum interest that will 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 call. So that's our, that's our lockout is the minimum interest. It's usually half the term. Okay. There was a question that came in and I guess the answer is we won't maybe know till Q2. We know what the price of debt is right now. Like what's the price of equity? <laughs> I mean, L- <laughs> LP, you would know better than me. I mean, LP equity, is that what they're, t- is that the question? I is- guess. Yeah. I mean, I, the, I guess the deals that you're seeing right now, which it doesn't sound like you're seeing a ton, or maybe you are seeing a lot, is a lot of the stuff you're seeing new buys or is it restructuring of current deals owned? So it was probably 50-50 before between acquisitions and refinances. Now it's more refinances. Now it's more refinances. The acquisition side is kind of the slow down. So it's probably 75-25 in favor of refinances right now. You know, lenders that aren't, Existing lenders on properties that aren't being flexible, that that's what we're coming in and trying to help with. And does your is your appraisal process any differently than a traditional lenders? 
So it's outsourced, like all the traditional lenders, we outsource it to, you know, we have a group of 10 appraisers we go to, depending on, we rotate and what's their specialty. And then the, the problem with the appraisals currently is there are a lot of comps from the last three months or six months in those appraisals. And those comps may not be reflective of the market because those were deals that were done where a borrower probably went hard on their money and then rates went up. So they were locked into doing the deal at the price they negotiated and they couldn't get out of the deal and they decided to close because they didn't want to walk away from a significant deposit. So you really have to, we take the appraisal and we chop it up. And then I think we talk to two to three more brokers on the ground on the deals. And if it's not multifamily, if it's commercial type properties, we'll talk to leasing brokers also just to get a, a sense of what's going on and what's the concessions. We see every property, we meet every borrower. You know, we're pretty hands-on with respect to that, but the, we do have a third-party appraisal. Yeah, I asked because one thing that a previous guest said that stuck with me for a long time is I didn't realize in 08 that the majority of delinquencies wasn't because the property wasn't leased anymore or tenants weren't paying. It was that a recap or a refi or a loan extension came up in that 08 to 2010 period. And when you go to appraise it, it just doesn't appraise anymore, even though it's got cash flow. Investors are scared. They don't want to put more equity. And so you give the, the banks back. So as I think about that and I think of, okay, there might be these borrowers that with a traditional lender are going to get the middle finger like, sorry, I know your tenant's paying, but it doesn't appraise. Do you guys provide any like better opportunity for those uh, folks that can't get the re, um, refinance or loan extension with a traditional lender? Sure. So on the refinance, the, the borrower wants a cash news to re refinance. That's always the request. They don't want to go back to their investors and ask for, for more money. They don't want a capital call or, and they don't want to put it up themselves so they may not have it themselves. So they come to us and see what we can do. I think the, what the banks have done is said, yeah, we'll be 70%. They get an appraisal. And then it's not that they're not at 70%. It's that someone in the loan committee says, I don't like this 70%. We'll just tell them that the thing didn't appraise. The reality is they want to be at 50% or 45% or 40%. That's, that's the, you know, what a bank will do behind the scenes. And I think that's, that's I, I got a call today from a, a big bank, and I won't mention their, their initials. Um, and they, um, they basically said that same thing. They said, we're happy, comfortable lending 40 to 50%. Will you guys go to 70? I said, sure, if it's the right number. Um, and that's what we'll, we'll do. You know, we come from, we're not a loan to own shop by any means, but we are, I think we, because of my background and my three partners backgrounds and the four managers that we have at the company that are all outstanding, they understand how real estate works. They understand you know, what the property will take. And if they like the location, we're not afraid to, to, to go to our 70%. And I think that's what gives others hope. And I think the brokers that we deal with, the loan brokers appreciate that. So I know you're not loan to own, but what happens in an own situation? What, what's y'all's mandate? Do y'all just take it back and fire sell it? Do y'all own it and operate it? Do you have a, a, a one, are you a one trick pony there? You'll do whatever. No, there's a, there's no mandate. We do what's best for the for the fund. Um, we've we've taken them back and 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 released them and, and sold them. Uh, we've flipped them right away. Um, we've put significant dollars back into them. Um, all the all the above. But luckily, I mean, Chris, we've done 
150 plus loans and, you know, less, you know, less, let's see, what's the number? It's probably 3% REOs. We don't have many. We get calls all the time from distressed loan buyers looking for, for stuff from our inventory. We don't have anything. We're lucky. But if we do, I mean, I think the you have to assess the situation, see what the market's like, make sure you don't lend in, in, in areas that are a little bit barren and don't have a any infrastructure and don't have any growth, and then you'll be okay. So do you, is there anything that you guys won't lend on? Is there any asset type or geography or like, what is an immediate no for y'all? We really don't do land. We don't do ground up construction. Um, I say we don't, I mean, we've done a couple over the years, but right now the mandate is no land, no ground up construction, no senior living, um, and no single family residential. And, and, and the truth is when we start, we've, we've kept that mandate together, no land, no single family residential, first trustees only. And the first one we ever did in the history of the companies, we did a second trustee on a house. <laughs> so, so that's that. And we got paid off and it was a great loan, but the, the reality is our thesis is we don't like construction. We don't like land. You know, it kept something in land is it's the most illiquid of every asset. I can't stomach it. I've done some development in my career. I didn't like it. Uh, it's just, you're sort of at, at the, not, it's not in your control. And I think that's, that's what we do. So really commercial properties that are built, that's what we like. If there's value add or heavy value add, that's fine. Um, we've done hotels, we've done senior living, we've done retail, all types, multifamily, you know, the, everyone loves multifamily. I personally think the multi-tenant industrial is, is the best thing out there. Let's go baby. <laughs> I've always thought that you you just can't replicate it. And I know that's why I loved your podcast. It was right on point. Um, but that's, that's what we do. You know, retail, we look at retail. We just did a shopping center um, in the Valley here and uh, we'll look at retail. So, you know, we're, we're, like I said earlier, we're entrepreneurial. There's no, there's no definitive no's other than land and ground up really and single family. There's some things in land and development that once you've seen, you just can't unsee again. Yes. They scar. There's heavy they scars. Scar. <laughs> they scar heavy. And I have stories about that stuff. Yes. Oh sure. my gosh. That's, a, that's another podcast. Before we get into like deal specific and underwriting buyers and or borrowers and, and deals and how y'all do it, uh, let's just kind of talk a little bit more about the market. So we're obviously in 2023. Rates are up. The the market understands that. Maybe my first question is has January first, we're now recording this. What's today? The fourth? Today's the fifth. Has the new year brought any momentum that didn't exist in, heading into Christmas, or is it still kind of same old in the what it was two weeks ago? January is usually very busy for us, and I and and it's. I think you're. I don't know yet. I don't know the answer to your question yet. I mean, it's been back two days. It was a weird holiday with a lot of break. There was a lot of, you know, what am I seeing? What am I hearing? out there is people are still sort of sitting back and waiting. Um, I think that the big news, the, the, the Blackstone B REIT was an amazing uh, issue to follow over the last 30 to 45 days. If anybody's really the barometer of, of where the equity's thinking and, and who wants to put money out, look at what the UC Regents, um, I think it was UC Regents, what they said, they said, we'll put 4 billion in your B REIT, but we want to, we basically want to guarantee 11 and a quarter percent. And, and Blackstone, who's biggest, you know, 
elephant in the room, they basically said, okay, we can do that deal, put $4 billion in the REIT. And that's what they got. So if that's any, any indication of where we are, people want 11 and a quarter with some flexibility, that makes sense. I think that's probably where we are. You asked earlier about the equity. What are they looking for in return? I think double digits. That's for sure. If you're like me, you like to wake up and get your daily dose of reading. For me, a lot of that has to do with commercial real estate because of the industry that we're in at Fort Capital. And the news is important. But if you're a busy real estate professional like me, you don't have time to skim through the dozens of dry and ad-filled media outlets each day. That's why I read CRE Daily, a free email newsletter that cuts through the clutter and delivers concise, witty commentary on the latest trends and transactions in commercial real estate. I discovered CRE Daily a few months ago, and it's an email I actually look forward to getting each morning. If you're a real estate professional, you owe it to yourself to try it out and stay on top of what's happening in the industry in only five minutes. To give their free daily newsletter a try, visit CREDaily.com. That's CREDaily.com. Like a forward-looking thought, you kind of answered it earlier. You're thinking that at, once we get a stable rate and we kind of know where rates are going to top out or at least hold still, it from y'all's perspective, is that when the market starts moving again? Or how are y'all planning out this year? Is, are you kind of, do you have a plan? I said it earlier. I mean, our, our every day, we, it's a different day in this business. We never know what we're going to have. But I, I think that the, the, the consensus is the first couple of quarters are going to be slow. That's the consensus. And the reason is rates are still going to go up a little bit. And I think once they stabilize for 90 days, then you're going to see people starting to, to buy. And there's always that one group that comes in and is kind of that demarcation. They said, okay, we're going to start buying things. And, and one seller kind of, you know, lowered their price and the cap rate went up hundred bips and sort, sort of feels right. And then you'll see everybody else follow suit. I mean, that's what's happened the last three or four times I've been in these things. It's just kind of like right now the vultures are out and they'll kind of go away and then everyone kind of follows suit at some point. Is there any, you mentioned going from a fixed rate loan a year ago to a floating rate loan. Are there any new types of products or strategies that y'all have for uh, the type of cycle that we are going for? Is it more just floating rate debt at higher prices? Um, I mean, I like to think we're a little more creative. I don't think we have any one thing that we do that's magical. We're good at evaluating properties. We're good at evaluating borrowers. I think if they want a fixed rate, you know, a lot of borrowers are wanting fixed rates and they don't want to buy these rate caps that are expensive. We'll give them a year fixed rate, but one year and we'll fix it at a, a price that, that we're comfortable with. We can do that. And I don't think anybody else is, is really looking at doing that right now. So that may be the differentiating factor. And y'all don't do mezzanine or any equity type structures. It's purely first lien loans. Only first trustees. If I didn't say that earlier, that's what we do. Um, okay. You know, we get a we refer out a lot of pref, a lot of mez. People are looking for more equity. We refer that out. So you said we're really good at underwriting properties and borrowers. I think most people understand how you underwrite a property, but it, from your perspective, I know how like the equity guys do it. Is there anything that you could take further and say from your shop or how y'all think about it, how you underwrite just property specific that's maybe unique to how y'all look at it? Or is it pretty industry standard? No, I think from a property perspective, we look at it. Um, I mean, I've been in this business for 25 years from different levels. I, I see what works and what doesn't. I can tell pretty quickly. I mean, 
you, you know early on, everybody can do an offering memorandum and make it look pretty. Everybody can make the numbers work. It's a question of going and seeing the property and talking to the borrower and making sure their business plan is viable. And if they have a viable business plan, can they get out of it? And do they have the resources if they go over budget? And, and have they done this before? So we did a few conversions. We did a few things like that, heavy, heavy lift kind of stuff. And these were borrowers that had resources. They were connected in the city. They had their own money in the deal. You know, those kind of things we look at. And I think that's important. We don't, you know, banks will look at, you know, what kind of deposits they have. What is their cash, you know, on hand for them personally, for the borrower personally at the beginning. You know, that all goes away when something goes into default or the market sort of crashes. You know, that same borrower is taking their cash and putting it into different projects. And all of a sudden, this A-plus borrower that they thought they had at the beginning now has no cash reserves. So we kind of look at this and say, what do they have in the deal? What do their partners look like? How long have they done this for? They weren't in single family residential, let's say, six months ago, and now they're doing 100 unit multifamily. We don't, you know, that's what we're looking for. Okay. I'm going to just bring up the hot word. Like, how would you guys underwrite an office deal right now? And and I'm not talking about class AA in the guts office. I'm talking about suburban class B-ish you know, the stuff that's, that's tough. Like, is there a, is there a price that you, are you seeing any of it one? And and how would you look at something that's just, I don't even know if it's distress is like the market doesn't know if it's ever actually going to be used again. What was that book? It was, was it Bonfire, uh, Bonfire of the Vanities? Is that, did you ever read that book? I think that's the one where the guy was a developer. I think that's the book. Um, they talked about see-through office buildings so they built all these buildings like in Atlanta, Dallas, and all these other places, and there was no tenants, so you could see right through them. So how would we underwrite an office building today? Uh, or how do we? I mean, first of all, what market are they in? What city are they in? Is there any leases in place? And you know, what's our basis? Somebody's going to make a lot of money on, in the office space. I don't know who and I don't know how yet. But somebody's going to figure it all out and all these buildings that are 30% occupied, you know, they're talking about in New York, they're converting. I, there's someone's going to make a lot of money on it. We, we're, we're open-minded. We'll look at every office building. We looked at one yesterday in, it was in Carefree in Arizona. We were going to be at like $49 a foot on our basis. It was, I don't know, 80,000 square foot building. Um, older, probably 80s vintage, but they had some really good leasing going on. And and we were trying to figure out why. And we were going to be like 40% loan to value at 10%. That felt good to me. That didn't feel like a, a problem. Um, they needed us because they needed some dollars to lease up the rest of the floors, but they had a good basis. And our debt yield was something like 11% going in on a 40%, 50% occupied building. So that felt good. We did one in uh, Austin that was more value add, and I think um, I think they're behind schedule. So even in a good market like Austin, things are sort of going a little they're a little softer. We have an office building in Tribeca that we made a loan on, and it's doing fine. You know, so it used to be region by region, city by city. Now it's like street by street. You have to really dissect these deals and get into the market at that minute a level that micro how do you guys underwrite borrowers especially like if you guys can make a loan in two to four weeks 
Um, is that for existing borrowers that you already know, or can you meet somebody brand new and and get comfortable with them quickly? No, brand new. It could be brand new. It's personal financial statements. It's credit check. It's litigation check. And then we have that where's Waldo conversation. And we say to them, why are you here? Why are, what am I missing? Tell me what you've done wrong in your past, because I'm going to figure it out. And I'd rather you tell me what it is versus yeah. me find it out. You're better off telling me and letting me know, you know, what you've, what, what you did wrong or why you're here. And we can get to the bottom of it that way. The good brokers, well, you know, felonies, they're out. We don't do felonies. If they've had felonies in the past, they're out. Um, how long ago? It's If it's been expunged, I think it's a misdemeanor. I think you're okay. You're, you're fine. You'll be fine. Uh, DUIs are, you know, okay. But like any type of jail time, we really have to look into that. You know, how long ago was it? Um, the other thing is, uh, um, in terms of bankruptcies, what, how recent, what, what was the reasoning for it? And did they sue a lender previously? And if they sued a lender previously, then, then that's probably not okay. Um, SEC violations, we've gotten a few of those kind of borrowers. They, you know, EB-5 did, you know, a lot of guys borrow, took money from EB-5 and they didn't file the guidelines, follow the guidelines and the SEC is after them. So we'll see it. We've seen a few of those lately. We could write a book. You should come in and just meet some of our oh, borrowers. I bet it's fascinating. It is. It is definitely a lot more exciting than than multi-tenant industrial, what you're dealing with there. But <clears throat> we get, <laughs> we had um, at a previous thing I was doing, we, we had a borrower in jail and we ended up lending them money. Not that I borrow, but we lend them, we loan them money. The guy was in jail because we really liked the CFO and we liked the building. And we had to get the um, prosecutor to, to approve it. And they did. And made them. So made the, the CEO was in jail? CEO, but not the CFO. CFO was out. He didn't get in trouble. Just the CEO. And that was, that was, we made the loan and got paid off. So I don't know what you're in. The answer is some of these. It's, do do it's, most people tell you where Waldo is up front or do you end up finding Waldo? I think it's. Well, we always find, we always, if they don't tell us, we always find it. Okay. But right. I, I think 50% tell us they hint about it. You know, look, you look at a personal financial statement, the guy, you know, usually it's an inflated overall value in net worth. Um, they'll disclose 500 millions got 50,000 in cash. There you go. That's the borrower. That's the guy. Where's all your, <laughs> where's all your cash? And why is this partnership in, in the middle of, you know, the, the desert worth $400 million? Oh, well, Coachella is going to be playing there in a few years. Okay. Well, I don't know how you justify that, that, but we're not a recourse, you know, it's a non-recourse loan we're making. So it's really, yes, they got to pass the test, but the value of the property has to be there. Um, but we have in the last two years, the quality of the borrower has improved for sure for us. I'm assuming uh, it's it's kind of fascinating. The probably the 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 cool part of this or not the cool part. I think it's fascinating what you get to see on the backside. I'm assuming there's agencies that can sniff out about anything. Every time I think I'm like pretty uh, off the grid or off the radar, I get one of those applications to sign up for something. And it's like, what 
of these five cars have you not driven? And it knows about my 1998 Jeep from like 20 something years ago. I'm like, okay, they do know everything. I'm assuming you can pretty much get everything with a few clicks of a button. Yes, it's pretty accessible. I mean, the big thing we do on all the properties, we do a, a, a multifamily. We do this for sure. We do, you know, Google searches and we look at the property. And if there's any, so if there's any violence, if there's any shootings at the property, you know, that's a no. If it's been the last few years, because if it's Fannie or Freddie, they probably can't take us out. So that's, that's important. Mur- murders at the property that we won't, you know, we won't, we won't do that kind of loan. Uh, but yeah, it's all this information is readily available, um, and uh, it is definitely a part of our due diligence. By the way, you're trying. I, I also noticed on all your on uh, looking at who who was on your prior uh, <laughs> your prior uh, podcast. There's not a lot of lenders on your podcast, and and the reason is it's it's not the most exciting you know business in the world. The it's private the lending hot topic side, though, though, right now, I know the private lending side is exciting. I mean, we're a reality show. These borrowers line them up. You can do, you know, something, something great <laughs> as, for sure. As we're talking, I'm thinking of starting another podcast called Stories of a Private Lender. The stories and the conversations we have about different things are, are pretty amazing. The one other thing is cannabis. You know, the type of stories we get for can we we haven't made a cannabis loan yet. We can. We've never done it. But the, the stories we get on the cannabis side are pretty, pretty incredible. Oh, I almost did a cannabis deal like f- four years ago up in Oklahoma City. It had just gotten legalized. You couldn't lend on it. And they were we were going to buy the building all cash and they were going to sign a lease that would pay us like a 15 yield. But there was no exit on it. Like it was almost too good to be true. Um, and we just passed and, and moved on and. I mean, we had borrowers bring want to bring cash in a bag to us for, you know, I said, how are you going to make the mortgage payments? We don't take cash. And they're like, well, we'll bring it in a bag. And I'm like, well, that doesn't that doesn't matter. You know, they bury it in the in the in the, in the backyard. And then when they're ready to make the mortgage payment, you know, it comes and shows up. You know, you can't it, it's it, it's it's still unregulated. So let's just put it that way. Yeah. My brother, my brother, Gino is going to show up with a bag <laughs> and knock twice. <laughs> Why is your highest expense? Why is your biggest expense security? I don't understand that. <laughs> Have you started to see from I, I, maybe not necessarily within your own portfolio, but just in the lending environment in general? Are you starting to see some people that are starting to have problems on their loans, whether it's within your portfolio or just in general? Because a lot of the discussions I'm having in the in the most not an office, I'm going to take that out. Leasing activity is still really good across the U.S. and in, in the favorable asset classes, industrial, retail, multi. It's slowed down, but the tale of two worlds right now is like capital markets shut off, leasing good, and so you haven't seen distress hit as quickly. But I don't know if from your perspective, you're starting to see cracks in the system. The only cracks we've seen are construction related type problems you know the costs went up significantly and the timing to get the projects done and online has taken a lot a lot more that was covid and that was supply chain and all that other stuff um i'm we are going to see leasing problems i'm sure like everybody else when you're a multifamily is you know and been leasing apartments and people were paying rents 50% of their income you know, that's, that's got to have a, a leak in it, especially if more layoffs occur. 
I think if when the when the cycle turns and businesses start doing a little worse and they start laying off people and and there's a downward pressure on wages, that will coincide with lease problems for sure. And that's just the second, that's like phase two or phase three of a, of, of a, a down cycle. I think it's coming. Are you seeing any busted construction projects or things that are mid construction or just started that are going to be, is that something that you would do? Go lend on a halfway done construction project. We're looking at them. There's a lot of them. We're looking at them. Some are, um, lender isn't going to release any more funds because the guy's behind and the loans out of balance. Some are the story of the lender doesn't have the funds because their line of credit was frozen and they can't fund the construction for a borrower. We're seeing a lot of those. Um, will we actually do any of them? It depends. You have to trust the construction to date. You have to see how far ahead they are. You have to, you have to figure out how much they have left to do and what's the cost of that. And those are complicated. I'd rather get a deal where it's, there wasn't any, you know, those rescue capital is really not what our main fund's set up for. What is going to happen to the vintage, like top of the market, 2021, 2022 floating rate value add multifamily buyers that were so prolific for so long that closed on something at, you know, three and a half cap planning on massive rent growth and it's all floating rate debt. Like have, have they started to appear on your radar yet or is it still too early? It's still too early. Um, they're going to have problems. They're going to have to come up with more cash. They're going to have two problems. One is they their their whole goal was to go bridge and then go Fannie or Freddie, and the Fannie or Freddie will be there, but they're going to need more cash to to it won't be the the proceeds that they need. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is they're going to have cash flow issues because they can't rent they can't raise the rates as quickly as they thought on rent, and that may not have hit yet, but that's definitely going to happen. So there's I I suspect there's going to be problems in multifamily. I think cap rates have already gone up in multifamily across the board from what i've heard 75 to 100 basis points it's probably not the premium stuff in the premium areas it's probably the the b and c type stuff and in the outskirts but um i think uh it's going to come it's definitely going to come that's why i I think there's there's movement there for sure there may be some opportunities and when y'all write a loan are you guys writing the loan and selling it or does that stay on your balance sheet for the entirety of the loan stays stays so we don't sell loans. We have our fund, which is a, a, a REIT, mortgage REIT. And then we have um, three partnerships. Two of the partnerships are with Oak Tree, and this is public information. We have two partnerships with Oak Tree, and they've been a great partner for us. And then we have a family office that we do a lot of the larger loans with. And I, I'm not going to say the name, but it's a big family office, in, not in the U.S. And so those are the, that's, how we, that's how our capital uh, stacks up. Um, our mortgage rate is an open-ended fund. We've had it for, I think, seven years now. We started as originally just syndicating loans um, and had different investors in each loan. And then we created a fund structure, which was a lot easier, but we don't sell any of the loans. Yep. Somebody asked this on Twitter. I don't know if it's a good question or not. We'll see. What do you think about public bridge lenders? What do I think about them? I mean... That was the question. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm. I think. Is there anything they're doing differently than you're doing? 
they're doing quarterly presentations to the market. I don't know what they're doing. I mean, I think we're probably <laughs> underwrite the same. We probably underwrite the same. Their cost of capital yeah. probably is a little lower. Um, probably. Um, they have more overhead. I mean, I don't know. I, I've probably, my guess is they're less entrepreneurial than we are. And I think they're less responsive. And they probably, you know, they get the same deals we get. There's no difference. Are there any states that you avoid or you lend in all 50 states? So we say we lend nationwide. We've, we've done loans in 33 states now. Um, I think we're staying, this is no, I don't know how broad your podcast is, but we kind of stay away from the Dakotas. It's kind of not our thing. Alaska, Sorry, Hawaii. Guys, Dakota. I, I'm not big in, in, in Sioux Falls or anything like that. Uh, we've done the Midwest, Southeast, a lot in Texas, um, Northeast. We've been big in. We actually haven't done a lot of deals in Southern, in Orange County or San Diego. We haven't, for some reason, even though we're in LA, we haven't done that. We've done a lot of stuff in the Northwest. Um, I mean, there's, there's a story for everything, but we really need to be a need near, near to an MSA or at least have a reason for, for being in, in the outskirts. We've done industrial. That's, you know, not near big cities, but it's near freeways and we'll get away with that. Um, but I think that's, there needs to be people, there needs to be commerce. That's kind of what we look at. Maybe a, a good way to come down um, towards the end here. You've said you've been through four cycles. You've gone from being a not so favorable lender a year ago, maybe not so favorable, but third or fourth call to now you're back to first call. Like, what do the next three or four years, like as the lenders start lending again, like how do you think about the next cycle from where you're standing now? Like what, how does your business perform in this environment? Do you eventually work yourself to back to being the fourth call again? Just naturally, that's how the, it's more of like a, it's not a company thing. It's just like a industry thing. Like what's your evolution over the next five years, I guess. That's an interesting question. I think the good news is private lending has become a significant part of the overall lending hierarchy. There's just private lending isn't going away. It used to be this niche business. Um, Mom and pop were doing one to two million dollar loans. And now it's become, you know, we're doing on average 18, 19 million dollar loans. It's a significant loan size. Um, So it's not going away. It's taking over market share from banks from CMBS, from life companies, and it's growing. And I think the borrowers recognize the value. Even they'll, they're, they're recognizing the value for a couple of reasons. One is they don't mind paying a little more because there's certainty to close. They know we're going to close. That's our reputation. Banks don't have that. They also know um, that we can probably structure a deal more creatively than a bank or an, a CMBS or somebody like that because just it's our own money. Technically, it's our funds money. It's our discretionary funds. So we can be more creative in that way. Um, so I think that the market share for private lending is going to grow even more significantly over the next two to five years. I, you know, you get you get caught up in day to day, but I like the business. The business is a is a grinded out business, but it provides a good service and people pay for it. And there's a need. And I think um you know, every year, what what drives us is there's different borrowers out there with different types of plans for different types of properties. You know, they're converting 
office buildings to multifamily. They're converting industrial into storage. They're taking retail and turning it into storage. There's different uses, different change of uses. People are being creative. And that's where there's a need for private lenders. Um, co-living, that's a perfect example. Taking apartment buildings and making them into co-living, not student housing, but co-living. Banks wouldn't touch it yet. Private lenders were needed. We needed to understand that. Data centers. Why are they spending $500 a foot to build a data center? What is it? What goes on in a data center? Banks didn't really understand that. Private lenders do. So I think there's a need for us. There's a whole other side to this of we got to close quickly. We got to call somebody besides a bank. That's that's part of this too. Speed. Okay, so that's not going to go away. And then I just think that there's always, like I said in the beginning of the podcast, we're the second oldest business for a reason. There's there's a need for it. You know, there's, yes, it's it's not that, here, here's a couple hundred, give me the VIG in a week. It's, there's documents and things like that, but there's just, there's always this need for private lending and, and, and real estate. And I think that's that's what's exciting to me. Am I allowed to ask what, when you def, when you say the word creative, like what, how create, like what's creative? Well, like let me name let me, one thing that that maybe somebody on this podcast would be shocked that y'all have done before that that's possible that I haven't said already. Yeah, our our structures are creative. I'll, I'll tell you this: I have three partners. Um, two of them come from corporate credit side, hedge fund side, right? So. You know, with respect to how we look at things, and I'm a real estate guy, so I have this real estate, this is the right way, this is the real estate way. And then I get from my my three partners, well, why don't we look at it like this? You know, what other real estate do they own? Can we do something wrapped around that? Um, you know, they need more money up front. They need more proceeds up front because they don't want to raise. Okay, so can we make them fund part of their construction reserve in six months or nine months or three months? Does that help them? Um, can we give them a little break on the fee and maybe put it on the back end? Can we um, do something with respect to, um, uh, you know, not having their, their wife sign in California, sign on the guarantee because they're getting divorced? Those kind of things that banks probably would need to be rubber stamped. We don't do that. But I think the biggest thing we do is we don't really lock them into our loan. They can pay us off whenever they want. There's a minimum interest, yes, but they're not going to be locked out and, and married to us for a significant portion of, of the day. We serve our purpose, get rid of us when you want to, and, and move on. We know we're not the end all. You're going to pay us off. You're going to sell the property. You're going to refinance. Great. That's what we are. We're a bridge lender. Um, so I think that's that's what gives us our our the unique quality of a private lender, but more so for iBorrow. But I think the other thing is we we... It's a very simple mantra that I did when I was buying properties and now that we're lending is we we do we hope we do what we say we were going to do. And it's not always the case in real estate. People make promises and they don't fall through. This is what we can do and we're going to do it. And we've done it repeatedly over the last nine years. And I think we're going to keep doing that. I think that makes us that differentiates us. Well, this has been awesome. Yeah, we haven't done a ton on on lending, but I really truly believe that your uh, your piece of the world is going to become super interesting over the next few years. Um, I'm actually excited to get to hear more about what you have going on, you know, quarter over quarter. Um, and uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Well, I appreciate you uh, having me, Chris, and 
congratulations. Four years. It's amazing. And uh, thank you. If you need any other lenders to talk to, let me know. I will. I'll be in touch. <laughs> Thanks. And when me. you're here, <laughs> and if, if you need the tickets, let me know also. Whatever you need. I'm around. All right. Good luck. Good luck Monday. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Fort Podcast. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform or hop on over to YouTube to watch full video episodes if that's what you prefer. For more information, you can check out thefortpod.com. Chris Powers is the founder and chairman of Fort Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Fort Podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions.